everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. I'm excited to be back. Some of you, or I guess most of you, were with us at the retreat this past weekend. It was awesome. Uh, but now we're back to normal, and so I'm excited because we're starting a new series today called Same God. Everybody say Same God. Same, God. Same Oh, come on, guys. Same God. Same God. There you go. Better, I guess. But yeah, Same God. This is a series that we're going to be talking about how the God that you see in the Bible is the same God today. And the reason why I decided to do this series is because, you know, if you have grown up in church long enough, or if you are acquainted with Christianity, or if you have heard, whether or maybe seen movies or shows like Veggie Tales, whatever, you have a general idea of stories in the Bible that are, some of them are pretty, pretty ridiculous or like hard to believe. And often, without you recognizing, it feels like they are a fa- like a fairy tale or like a, a novel or like a story that it, it just doesn't feel real. It feels more like fantasy. And the point of this series, as we get to look at three different stories, the point of this series is to see how the same God that worked in the life of people in the Old Testament, the same God that made miracles in the life of people in the Bible, the same God that made ways for things to happen, it's the same God that is at work today in this present day. And so the other reason why I decided to do this is because we live in a culture that is in constant change. Think about how much the world has changed in the last 10 years. So I'm 30, so I guess more, let let me take even a, 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 let me take a a next step. In the last 15 years, so half my life, right? These are things that, I'm going to show some pictures, but these are things that I grew up using. And now think about where you are at in your life, in high school. These are things that we ha- or I had in high school and what you have today in high school. And so I don't remember the order, so Nate, that's so surprised me. Cartoon Network. Look at all those characters that you see there and how many of them, if any of them, are not longer being shown. Like I grew up seeing the Flintstone. Does anybody here know what the Flintstone is? Yeah, the, okay, maybe some of you. I grew up seeing the Powerpuff Girls, and I was cute. I always wanted to know what was the thing that the Professor X put on that little thing that made them powerful. Uh, you know, you had Dexter, and I forgot the, 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 the girl's name, but Dexter, the lab Dexter, however you call it in English. But think about how awesome that show was. You know, he, I learned uh, French on it. You know, the baguette or whatever. Uh, you have Scooby-Doo. It was always a mystery. <laughs> Trying to figure out who was the, it was like, it was amazing. It's like you're on your seat. And now think about how today those are now the shows that, you know, they're portraying. It's, and if they are, they have changed the way that they look. What's next? This was the very first cell phones I ever had. It was called a StarTag. If you had one of these, you were cool. You were cool. Everybody said cool. Everybody said, Eric, you're cool. Thank you. I needed the affirmation today. But this was the cell phone I grew up on. And it, the best thing about that was that you could grab the little thing and you would pull uh, an antenna. Nobody, none of you know what an antenna is because not even cars have antenna nowadays. I mean, they do, but you don't see it. But it was so cool. You could put it out and like, you were walking around. It was a flip phone. So it was amazing. And that thing, you could, drive on, you could drive it over with your car and it would still work. It was amazing. All right, what's next? Dial up. 
This is doctrine of demons right there. This is demonic activity. Not really. But nonetheless, if you, have you ever experienced dial-up internet? Okay, yes. Okay, Luke, I see you. In Hungary? Ukraine? Okay, somewhere. All right. Dial-up internet. That is doctrine of demons. It's not wireless. It was not Wi-Fi. It was such a thing that when you got on your computer and you wanted to watch a YouTube video, you had to have it loaded for three hours so you could see a one-minute video. But if your mom, your parent, whoever grabbed the phone and answered, you lost the, connect, or you lost the connection, and then you had no internet. And whatever you have been able to buffer up to watch, it lost because you didn't have connection. When you were playing video games or whatever, when you were downloading a movie, no one could touch the phone because the moment somebody touched the phone, you lost connectivity. And now think about how much the world has changed. That today you have access to your, cell, to your to the internet even on your, on your hands, on a smartphone, on video games, on your Apple Watch or whatever. You, you think about how far we have gone about this. And this was not even 20 years ago. That's how ridiculous it was. Next picture. Nintendo 64. I was the coolest thing in the neighborhood because I had a Nintendo 64. And I played uh, Mario Kart, Zelda, uh, GoldenEye, which it was like a, a James Bond uh, video game. This is what I grew up in. Now we're not only on a PlayStation 1, we're on what, PlayStation 5? That's a lot of PlayStations right there that they come out with. And nonetheless, and now you Xbox One, two, they ran out of numbers as so they went to the alphabet. And so you see how far we have learned, how things are constantly changing. I think there's two more, right? None of you know what that is. And if you know what that is, it's because you are into, you're like into old things. But this is a cassette. Everybody say cassette. It was the coolest thing back there because you will put that in your car. Your car didn't have CDs. You had cassette. And I'm not that old, all right? But this was the coolest thing. And the best thing about that was to play with it. You see the little holes there? You will do it and you will, like, run it over and the, the tent, whatever you call that, will come out and destroy it. This is what we used to listen to music. If you were at a church and you wanted to listen to the message again, they would record everything on a cassette and you would put it on a radio. It was, like, it was very impressive. This is not even 20 years ago. This is what we use now. You got MP3, MP4, you got uh, terabytes, you got whatever. You figure it out. And now you can listen to everything on your phone. You got Bluetooth. I don't know if it relates to that, but we got Bluetooth. We got Bluetooth, guys. That's amazing. All right, next one. And I think it's the last one. Was it? Haggai. Nice. No, never mind. <laughs> the previous one was the last one. So as you can see, as you can see, there are a lot, a lot of things that has changed throughout times. And so the purpose of this series is that even though we live in a culture that is constantly changing, a culture that is constantly innovating, a culture that is constantly, constantly finding ways to do new things and to be imp improve all things, we need some consistency. We need something that does not change. And for the reason of this series, for us to see that the God that we worship, the God that we serve, the God that we study from is a God that does not change. A God that does not change. That's the truth that we need to understand. God does not change. And I think it's important for us to see that. And, and you will see in the book of Malachi 3.6, we'll say this. 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So in the context of this verse right here, the nation of Israel had been devoted themselves to do what's evil against God. They have ignored God. They are, they are going against what God wants them to do. And God is going to use this prophet Malachi to encourage the people and say, hey, even though you are changing your ways, even though you have changed yourself, even though the things that you used to work, you're changing them to things that you shouldn't be worshiping. I do not change, O Israel. The same God that made a promise that will deliver you and that he will take you to a promised land, that you will be my people, that you will be the ones that I will love and pursue after. I, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Israel, or Jacob, are not consumed. God does not change. And so, I want us to understand that true as we go through the series because you will see that all around you, your whole life is changing, especially in high school. Your groups, your, your friend groups are changing. The school, the, the way that the dynamics in your school are changing. The, 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 the trending things are changing. What was funny today, it's not going to be funny tomorrow. The way you dress today, it's not going to be how you dress tomorrow. Everything is constantly changing. But the one thing that will never change is who God is. And so it is important for us to understand that as we dive in on the things that we're going to be covering. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Haggai. Everybody say Haggai. Haggai, okay. I feel like I'm like trying to be inter interactive. That was the last time I'm going to have you repeat something. Haggai. Know that. All right, so you were supposed to say it, but you didn't. Okay, thank you, Stewie. All right, somebody's asking. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right, Haggai. We're going to be in Genesis 16. In Genesis 10, you see the story of Haggai. Haggai was the servant of Abraham. Abraham was this guy that God chose and said to him, out of you, I'm going to become, I'm going to do, the, I'm going to make a great nation. Out of your descendants, I'm going to not only populate the whole world, but I'm going to make great nations. And your kids, your descendants are going to be my people. And out of your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world because through your descendants, Jesus, the son of God, was going to be born. And so... This is Abraham. Now, Abraham, my, my guy, was old. He, was, he had many years in his, in his uh, books. And so he, one of the things that they didn't have was any kids. Him and his wife, Sarah, didn't have any kids. And so when this angel appeared to him and said, hey, out of you, we're going to become a great nation, he doesn't believe that because how could he? He was very old. And so it seemed to him impossible that he would be able to have a kid. And so his wife, Sarah, goes to Abraham and says, hey, I need you to go to a concubine or, or a servant, this girl, and I need you to have a relationship with her so that through her, who is younger, she can get, you know, pregnant, and now her baby will be my baby. How that worked, I don't really know. Nonetheless, that's how the dynamics were at back then. And so he's going to tell, Sarah's going to tell this lady, hey, guy, hey, you need to have a relationship with Abraham, and the kids that you have will be my kid. Well, this was done out of disobedience to God. And if you don't know the story, the way that it played out was that God indeed kept his promise. And Abraham and Sarai had a kid. Now, Haggai got caught in the middle of it. Haggai had a son as well. And the son of Sarah, of, of, of Haggai was, in a sense, opposed to the son that Sarai had. Sarah's son was a legitimate son, whereas Haggai was the son of a servant. And so there was this disconnection between the two. There was tension. Tension that, believe it or not, remains today because we will say that the son of Sarah is the descendants of Israel. And the descendants of Haggai are the descendants of the, of the um, 
all of the Muslim nations like the, the Afghanistan, Iraqis, and so on. And so you see the tension between them even to this day. Now, in this very moment, we get to see something about God that it is the first time that is introduced. Something that, a name that is given to God that has never been given up to this point in the history of the Bible or in the history of the world. And so I want us to see what happens in this verse. So Genesis 16, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, or Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai's servant, whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to her, the voice of her Sarah. So Abraham, after he had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wives, to Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that he, she, she had conceived, she looked when we come ten on her mistress. So Sarah goes to her and says, hey, I need you to have this relationship with Hagar. And so that their son can be, or her, her descendants or her kids can be my kids. So she does that. She ended up getting pregnant. And now Hagar, or Sarah, is all mad because Hagar actually did what she was supposed to do. And so you see in verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with content on her mistress. Verse 5, and Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. And so she started blaming Abraham for doing the very thing that she told him to do. I gave my servant to you or embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with content. Now she's blaming Sarah or Hagar for what she's done. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 8, or verse 6. But Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So listen, what, like, we're going to stop there because I want us to understand what's going on. You have this dynamic of God promising to Abraham, Hey, out of your descendants, I'm going to make a great nation. Your descendant coming from Sarai. Sarah realized that she was so old and she felt like she couldn't conceive. And so she goes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, there is this servant that I own, Haggai. In a culture at the time, it was acceptable for the servants to have a relationship with the master. And if they conceive, whatever they conceive will be as if it was the descendants of the master. And so she actually does that. They conceive. They get married. Or they, they have this relationship. They have this kid. And now that Sarah is seeing that what she has done and what she told her to do happened, now she's mad at both Abraham and the servant. Abraham, trying not to deal with the whole situation, says to Sarah, hey, it's your servant. You deal with her however you want to deal. And so we see here that Sarah dealt with her harshly. Then verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. This is speaking of Haggai. Now put yourself in the position of Haggai. Not only you are a slave, not only you're somebody's servant, someone comes to you and say, hey, you need to lay with the master and have relationship with him. And when you conceive, that baby is not going to be your baby. That baby is going to be his baby and her baby. You are just a means to an end. And then she does that. And now she has a baby. And her master now is, uh, is upset to her because she did the thing, the very thing that she was commanded. And her master, the, the guy master, Abraham, says to her, hey, 
I want your master, the female master, to deal with you the way that she feels like she should deal with you. And so she deals with her in a way that is harsh, mean, unfair, and she pushes her away from everything that is going on. And so we see here in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Haggai by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, this angel said to Hagar, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Where do you come from and where are you going? He asked her. And he said, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. So she's escaping. She's running away. She cannot take it any longer. Now this angel comes up and says, hey, what are you going and where, what are you doing and where are you going? And he says, hey, why don't you go back and go be with your mistress? You know, the, you know it seems kind of like unfair. And then he says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hands against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Again, this is where you see the history between the friction that you see in today's world between Israel and all of the neighboring nation. Started in this very moment in that you had this servant who God promised, even right now, is telling her, hey, we see your affliction. We hear your affliction. And so we're going to be dealing with that. We're going to multiply your descendant. And so look at verse 13 as Haggai listens to this in her response. It says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. So in that moment, in that moment of distress, unfairness, and friction, she hears this voice that is taking care of her needs, that is saying to her, hey, go back to your master. To your master. Submit to her. You're gonna, your descendants are going to be multiplied. We're going to make a great nation out of you as well. And then she says, to this name, she says, you are a God of seeing. Yehovah Elohim, Elroy is what it said. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well, the well was called Verhelahai Elroy. It lies between Kadesh and Beret. And Hagar bore Abraham a son. And Abraham called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 year old when he when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. My guy was old. This is what's going on. You're Hagar. You have been treated unfairly. You have been mistreated. You have been abused. You have been mis you have been basically to the point that you're pushed away, where you may have felt alone, with no company, with no help. And in that very moment, we see God introducing an aspect of him that up to that point we had not seen. He introduced and he sends an angel. Some even say that it was him himself that was that, that present to her and reminded her that he sees her. That God sees her in her affliction. This event was so astonished to her 
that whether the things that she grew up hearing about God were true or not, in that very moment she recognized that the God that presented himself to her was the God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. And then she said, truly, truly, you are the one that has seen me in my afflictions. Why do I share this story with us today? Because the same God that was in the Old Testament, the same God in the story right here with Haggai, it's the same God that is at work today. He does not change. And the same God that saw Haggai in her afflictions, in her struggles, is the same God that sees you in the time of your struggles and your affliction. Why is this important? If you're anything like me, when you find yourself in afflictions or having a hard time or dealing with situations, it is easy to believe that it's you against the world. It is easy to believe that nobody cares about you. That when you're dealing with tension, when you're dealing with frustration, when you're dealing with discomfort, that no one knows what you're going through and that you are alone in those those things. If it is true that God does not change... And if it is true that God sees her, saw her in her affliction, then it is true that God sees you in your affliction. And that's something that we need to understand today, that this statement that he says truly, that she says truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. That that same statement is true in your life of the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and the God of today. That he truly sees you in your times of need. And so where we will say that God does not change, I want us to understand that God sees you. And for that, there are two verses that I want to look up and, that, and then be done with that. In Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have to understand, we have to understand that God sees you and me in our times of need. We can make a whole different things about how God sees us all, all the time. I mean, he's omnipresent and so on. But this aspect right here, this truth that is so necessary or necessary for us to understand that when we're finding ourselves in a place of affliction and loneliness and struggles, and if you don't find yourself in that place right now, hear me out, you will. Sooner or later. Life is not easy. Life is unfair. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face struggles. You're going to face hardship. And it is in those moments that you're going to have to hold on to a truth. And what a better truth to hold on that God does not change and that he sees you. He sees you for your struggles. He sees you for your afflictions. He sees you for where you're going on. You are not alone. You are not forsaken. Or not ignore. He sees you. And in Malachi, in Second Chronicles, what he's reminding them is that for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. That's his reminder to the nation of Israel. They needed to understand that God does not change, that he sees them. That he sees people in their struggles and in their affliction. And then in Psalms 33, 18, it says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on, is, is on who, those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. 
See, this message may not mean anything today if you're not going through something. It doesn't. And I, and I knew coming into it that this will be the case for some of you. But nonetheless, life is not fair. It's harsh. It's ever-changing. And sooner or later, you're going to be facing some sort of opposition. Sooner or later, you're going to be faced with some struggles, some hardship. And in those moments, you're going to find yourself in a deep well where you're grasping for something to grab so you can make it out of it. Let me tell you that the truth that you may need in that moment is to recognize that God sees you, that you're not alone, that he's there seeing you in those affliction. And what that means is if that the God of this universe, the creator of the world, the one who formed you, the one who empowered you, the one who enabled you to be who you are, he's the one that sees you in that very moment, and he's the one that be a present help in times of needs. God sees you. That's what I want you guys to understand. And so we'll end with this question. What does it mean? I just took a screenshot. What does it mean? That God sees you. What does it mean that God sees you? What does that mean to you? It may not mean anything right now, but trust me, it will. It will mean something. That the God of the universe, who loves you, who cares for you, sees you in those moments when you think nobody does. That he sees you when you think that you're alone. That he sees you when you think that you are forsaken. That he sees you when you are being abused, mistreated, and being in a position where it's not fair. He sees you. God sees you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the fact, Lord, that even though the whole world and everything around us can change, Lord, you do not change. That we can look at your word and see that the same God that was actively working in the life of people, like Haggai, you're also working in our life today. That there's nothing about you that has changed. That you are never changing. That you are always the same, Lord. And we can trust on that, knowing that you can work in our life the way that you have worked before. That you do not change, Lord. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that is struggling that they're finding themselves in a position where they feel like they're not being seen, that they find themselves in a position where they feel forgotten, where they feel alone, Lord, that they will be challenged and reminded of the fact that you do see them where they are at, Lord, that you are there with them, Lord, that you are a present help in times of trouble. And, Father, I pray that they will hold on to that truth and that they will seek after you, Lord. I pray, too, Father, that... For those of us that may not find ourselves in that position, that when the time comes for us to be in the mud, that we will remember that truth, that you do not change, and that you see us. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining this morning. Good morning and city.